just thought, uh, just to bring it to a close, we're going to try and finish up in time. Love to pray for people as well. Um, but just to sort of conclude, um, I, I, Roy has centered us around this afternoon around the whole idea of evangelism, which is really, really good. And I thought I would maybe try and encourage you a couple of little things about what's happened at, uh, with us. And this is a, a quote from Greg Laurie. Jesus never told the whole world to go to church, but he did tell the church to go to the whole world. Um, the next little slide, um, what, what we started to do in Emmanuel back a number of years ago, back two years ago, coming on the 1st of January, um, just prior to Christmas, I was in the south of England. I was preaching at a conference over in the south of England. And at the end of the conference, this guy came up to me and he reached me a jar of marbles and he said, would you pray for our marbles? I said, okay. And uh, he sa I said to him, what, what do the marbles represent? And he says, well, the marbles represent lost people. I thought, wow, well, that's a cracker idea. So every marble in this jar represents a lost person. We're praying every meeting, we pray for these people. So we came, I came home and I, I, the church that I, I serve in, um, we, have a, we have a 17, 18 staff. They're all quite young. They're all very creative. We bounced it around the table and they said, wow, that's a brilliant idea, Phil. Why don't we buy ping pong balls just to go one better? So we bought a thousand ping pong balls, as you can see here. We bought a thousand ping pong balls and we bought two big glass cylinders or perspex cylinders and we, on, on, on the morning of, the, on our vision morning in January, which is two years ago, coming in January, we give everybody a ping pong ball coming into church and we said, could you, could you use this as a person and could you commit to pray this person and do whatever you need to do to lead this person into the kingdom this year? Just one person, that's all we're asking. Everybody does one this year. What happened was the conversations that ensued after that gathering was I had people who had been saved for 20 and 30 years come and say, Phil, I have never led anybody to Jesus. I don't know how. And I'd be afraid of doing it wrong. And um, so we began to realize that people were nervous. So hence, if we go back to the last one, we, we began to say that we needed a culture of evangelism. We need to make it a core value of who we are. It's not something we do. It's someone we are. It's we are evangelistic people. We, we made it a prayer value. We made people be confident in the gospel. We started to teach it. We started to give people a language for it. We got little cards printed. We done this thing where um, our folks would, uh, we had a little card printed and this was just to display the love of God. The times of all our gatherings were in the back of this little card, just a little business card. So we said to people, if, you're, if you feel God speak to you about buying somebody a lunch, buying somebody a coffee in a restaurant, go do it and leave the little card. So I've had people come to our church who said, somebody out of your church bought my lunch and left this little card to tell, of course, the name, the times of our meetings on the back of it. And so it was just creative ideas, releasing catalysts, so releasing people that, because what a catalyst does, um, an evangelist will lead people to Jesus, a catalyst will create environments where people are being led to Jesus. So we need catalytic evangelists, we need people that not just lead people to Jesus, but people that actually create environments, like Roy carries that anointing where he not just creates, he doesn't just lead people to Jesus. It was like, so easy for Roy this morning to do that, I felt you, uh, we, we, pastorally, I'd be slogging that, he just got up and said, 
three blind mice and everybody come and give their life to Jesus. It was incredible. This is just the anointing of the evangelist. So it's releasing these catalysts, focused activities where they're thinking, and stories. Stories are fantastic. I love um, Roy's book. I'm going to buy that book. Stories and, and learning how to formulate your story into something that's um, able to tell. So what happened was we began just to put this into people's hands and put little tools. We, we put a prayer card game. We're saying, we're, we're, com- we're saying to people, look, we're not just rushing to get people to pray a prayer, all right? We need to make sure there's repentance of sin. You're talking to an old brethren here. So um, there's repentance of sin. I, I grew up in an environment where you had to have conviction for at least three weeks. You had to have at least three weeks sleepless nights before you could get saved. And so... Um, so uh, we're making sure there's clear repentance. We're making sure that, that, that people know that they're, they're stepping. It's not turning over a new leaf. It's not the cool thing to do just to pray a prayer. But we're giving people the proper tools and teaching them how to use them. As a result, here's what happened, right? And just, yeah, in just less than two years, I text one of our lead pastors there to ask him who looks after discipleship, and after um, Alpha over the last few weeks, there's just shy of 300 people in two years. And it's just, the, the thing was just getting creative, the thing was putting the tools into people's hands and teaching them how to do it. And, and I, I, I'm, I'm telling you that because... You can do that. You can do that. That is simple to do. It's just understanding, creating a, being a culture yeah. in your, where you're, you're, again, it's not just something that you do, but it's something that you become. Because our mandate is to lead people to Jesus, all right? Um, and there's something about discipling that culture. I want to take a couple of minutes, then we're going to pray, all right? Um, I, I want to talk to you um, just for a couple of minutes about the man, um, we jump on to the next slide or the next little couple of lines there. Many of you in the room are probably facing a giant tonight, or, and, and your giant can make you great if you decide to fight it. You see, Goliath slips off the pages of, of, of Scripture when he had finished his purpose, and his purpose was to make David great. And if David had never fought him, he would never have been great. And so the next line tells us this, that the very thing, sometimes the thing that keeps you away is the very thing that God uses to draw you near. The very thing that that you are battling tonight, and whatever it might be, we've done the model, we've we've looked at, I forget what we looked at, and the mission, um, Roy has, has led us through the whole evangelist stirring us how to, how to get this thing going, how to get it pumping in our lives and in our churches. And so what I want to do just for five, ten minutes, and then we're going to worship and pray, I want to challenge you about character. Because this is where it starts and finishes. It starts and finishes in who we are. And many of us face challenges. Yeah, my, my, dad had, my dad died at 80, 87, and at 67 he took Alzheimer's. And after five or six years of Alzheimer's taking him down a pretty bad route, he fell and broke his femur. And because of Alzheimer's, he forgot how to walk. So the last 12 years, he was totally bedridden. And um, 
I didn't have a wonderful relationship with my dad. He was a great man. He was a workaholic. He run his own business. I was number seven, so, you know, you were sort of down. And, and I had three brothers and then a sister and then another three. And I'm the bottom. It's a bit like two families in our house. And so I don't remember being that close to my dad. But um, and I grew up in that generation where you, they didn't tell you they loved you, they never hugged you, and they weren't touchy-feely, and that was just the way it was, and some of you will be able to relate to that. But when my dad um, was bedridden for many, many years, he was a hefty man. I, I will say of all the good things I could have inherited from my father, I got his figure in his hairline. But um, he, uh, he, he, we, we, had a, we had a rota going, and because there was seven in our family, we would, we would, we would take, I had four slots in the week, and so I would do a couple of morning slots. I had a, a tea time, four times a day. He'd be lifted and changed, because he was incontinent. They would change him, and then put him back to bed, and I had a back to bed on a Sunday night as well. And I did that for 12 years, four times a week. When he died, my, my mom and I had a great relationship, and when, when he died, I kept those four slots in my in my dairy, and I, for the next two years that mom lived, she died two years after. For the next two years, I, 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 went, I went twice, two mornings and an evening, and then a, a sort of a bedtime every, every week, and it was just beautiful. And uh, my mom, my, my claim to fame was mom used to say, son, there's nobody can boil an egg like you. <laughs> well, that's, my, that's my claim to fame. But one night, I was putting my dad back to bed, and one of the back to beds, and uh, he was lying in the bed, and uh, the nurse was a little bit late. Mum was in the kitchen doing something, and I was sitting on the edge of the bed. We had made a, the bed down in the living room, and um, I was sitting with my hand on his chest, just praying over him, and uh, my eyes closed, and all of a sudden, he touched my face. My dad had never touched me in his life. And here he was. Um, I'm a man in my 40s at this stage, probably mid to late 40s. And my dad touched my face and it totally broke me. And I remember weeping the whole way home just to, to, for the first time ever to be touched by my dad. And you know what? I think, I think Father God wants to touch some people as we finish here. Tonight, I think there's a God in heaven who wants to give you a touch. In Jeremiah 18, there's a powerful scripture that talks about how God speaks to Jeremiah the potter and, or, or to go down to the house of the potter. And Jeremiah goes down to the house of the potter and he watches the potter remold and remake clay. And he, he, he watches him as he reshapes. It says, uh, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, go down to the potter's house and there I'll give you my message. He went down saw him working at the wheel, but the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. So the potter formed it in another pot, seeming, shaping it as it seemed best to him. Many years ago, I was in holidays in Spain, and I took my kids to a pottery works, and um, there was this old lady, she was about 150, and she was um, at that, one of these wheels, and she was pumping a, you know, the wheel with her feet, and the and she got this piece of clay and she sat it on the wheel and she began, she'd put her hands into the water and she began to mold this pot and she'd, she'd draw it up and she'd draw it up and she'd draw it up, beautiful skill. And then her hands would go into the water again and she'd pull it up again and, and she began to make this vase, 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 whatever that, you know those things. And, um, 
And it, it was beautiful. It was beautiful. And she started to really shape it and all. And everything was looking really good. And then she did a strange thing. She put her hand into the water like this here. She washed her hands. And she put her hands into the pot. And, and she began to, to pull muck out of the inside. And while she was doing that, she would knock a, a lip off. And I think, my goodness, what's she doing? She's racking the pot. And, and then she would fix up the, the lip again. And then she'd go back in. And she'd come out with more mud. And, and she'd put, and then she'd back in, she'd go. I felt God speak to me. I felt say, God say, you know what? The outside of the pot's character, the inside's capacity. And a pot's no good if it can't hold anything. And so what God has to do sometimes is he builds character in our lives. Sometimes the hand has to go inside to create capacity. And you see, sometimes it's not our inability to hear the voice of God. Let me think this out. Sometimes it's not our inability to hear the voice of God. It's just our willingness to listen to all other voices. There's so much stuff out there. A lady came up to me two Sunday mornings ago and she said, Phil, her message was amazing. And she says, I, I actually came off social media. She says, I've, I've done away with Facebook and Twitter and came off social media. And I goes, wow. And I said, what led you to that? And she says, no, it wasn't that anything was wrong. But she says, I felt like I was stuffing myself full of all the wrong stuff. And she says, when I'd, when I'd finished with that, I had no appetite for the proper stuff. So it felt like, it felt like, Felt like by the time I'd spent an hour on Facebook, when I went to go to the Word, I had no appetite. She said, it felt like I was eating at McDonald's all the time and had no room to eat anything proper. And sometimes it's not our inability to hear the voice of God. It's just our willingness to listen to all the other voices. And here's a couple of little things about the potter, just really quick, just if you throw them all on. Number one, the potter is always working. The potter is always working to make a useful vessel, and the potter is always working to make a useful vessel according to his point of view. And the very thing that you might be thinking tonight is the thing that's keeping you away, is the very thing that God's looking you to fight to make you draw near, because God is always working. And he's trying to create capacity in the lives of men. We've heard stories from Roy's hope book of men vacant in the homes. And so there's so many things and so many things that we can do if we allow God to make us to his specification. And if we trust that his hands is good, then he does only what is good for his vessels. One of the things that I've learned over my lifetime in Emmanuel, I will say 21 years we've been going. The first 10 years, it seemed like we couldn't do anything wrong. And for about the next six years, it felt like we couldn't do anything right. At the end of 10 years, we were in the crest of a wave. Our church was booming. My wife died really, really suddenly. I'm married again, but she died in, in 06. She died of adult death syndrome. So it was her death certificate reads non-certifiable. So after 10 months, the, the pathologist, I said to the pathologist, what does that mean? He says, it just means that the human body's too smart for us and your wife, we couldn't find any cause of death. Died in the middle of a conversation, 27 and a half years of marriage and four kids and they were great years. 13 months after that, Alan's wife died. Many of you know Alan's story with Lindsay. Just five months after my wife died, Lindsay, 23, took a brain tumor and after seven months of journeying through that, she died. 
So we'd never actually, we were a church that had never done a funeral. And we buried the two pastor's wives within 13 months. The following February, Garth, who was one of our worship guys who'd been with us from the beginning, 28 years, just, just come out of medical school as a, as, a, as a doctor, brain tumor that he'd taken years earlier, reignited, and he passed away on the 6th of February, 08. So 06, 07, 08, we lost three pretty highly powerful people, and then my dad and mum both died the following two years. And it just felt like there was a wave after wave after wave after wave, and it felt like, God, what are you doing? And, and here's a little phrase that I came up with. I learned to trust God more than understand him. And I think if you know and trust that God is good, and I remember sitting in the park a few weeks after my wife died, and I remember saying, God, if everything, you've, if everything I've ever learned about you is true, I'll make it. <laughs> I'll make it. And if it's wrong, then I'm goosed anyway. So I want you to know that God is good. And, and here's the deal. Here's the deal. On, on our last slide, I've just put a few questions up that I think is really, really important. In Isaiah 58, I'll not take time to read the passage, but in 9 to 12, it talks about building out of the old rubble of your past life. It talks about rebuilding the foundations out of your past. It talks about people fixing anything, restoring old ruins, rebuilding, renovating, making the community alive again. And so what I'd love to ask you is, what's broken in your life? Is there something broken in your life? Is it a relationship? Is it a relationship with God? Is it a relationship with yourself? Have you just lost your identity? I, I'd love us to pray for that now. Maybe, Dave, you come up and we'll... We'll, we'll get going and, 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 and pray for that. I'd love us to think about, the, the Bible says in Proverbs 25, a person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. Some of you, maybe in the room, as regards question one, have just lost control. You know, as we get older, and I'm sure Roy will agree with us, both Roy's I'm sure will agree with us, we tend to think that as as the older we get, the easier it gets. It gets harder, doesn't it? It gets harder. It's not, it's, and, and, and so I, I, whatever, you just need character issues, so, so important. Maybe it's, that, maybe it's that alcohol issue that just getting out of control and you know that you need to put your finger in the pulse, whatever it is. Maybe it's, I'm talking to men, so it could be porn. And I know when we get men, we're always going down that route. And I'm not, Right, okay, you know where that's going. But where, where, wherever you feel it is, number two, you know, um, if the walls are crumbling, finance, marriage, relationships, habits, loose talk, loose morals, sometimes our lives can just get into some kind of chaos or, 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 or disharmony. And so the question that I've, I put up there is, uh, is your life peace and harmony or is it chaos and helplessness? Maybe there's something that you just need healing for. You know, there's physical healing, there's emotional healing, and there's spiritual healing. Or, and we'll thank God for the doctors and nurses and the, the systems that we have. But God can heal today. I believe God can heal today. So if, if you need healing in your body, we would love to pray for you. And here, lastly, I... I Jesus went into the temple one day and there was a man with a withered hand and he went up to him and he said, stretch forth, stretch forth. 
And as a man stretched forth his withered hand, Jesus in his power touched what was withered in his life and restored it back to fullness. And for some of you men in the room, maybe just something has withered up in you. Might be church. And as a church leader, I want to apologize to you for churches. We haven't always got it right. And as a church leader, we have hurt people. And as a leader, I stand in the gap and I apologize for that. It should never have happened. doesn't make it right. But maybe something has withered up inside you. Maybe, maybe just life itself has, has, has caught up with you and it just choking you out. And, and, and right now as we finish, is God calling you to, to stand out and, and to say, you know, that my life, my, my spirit had just withered inside me. I need that fresh touch of God. I love in, in Isaiah... It said, sing, O barren woman. <laughs> Wasn't saying, sing, and, sing whenever it's all good. <laughs> sing whenever the child comes. No, no, no. It said, sing, O barren one. Sing when it's painful. Sing when it's withered. Sing when it's broken. Reach out. And, and I think it would be lovely just to finish our conference and thank you to all the team, CBM team that have put it together, the Spud and the team. But I'd love us just to, I'd love us to leave whole men, whole men. Not to be carrying home your issues and your witheredness, if that's a word, and your brokenness and your, and your, your chaos and your helplessness, but actually allowing us. I, I'm not dead sure how to do this. Roy's gonna come and help me to do this, but I, I think it would be good if we stand and... and Go for it. Let's not stand at the moment. Just sit. It again. Just Down to say, as we sing, um, if any one of those actually appeal to you and you feel, hey, God, that's me, those are the people I want to stand because we're brothers and uh, we're not going to condemn you. You're just acknowledging, hey, you don't even have to say which one, but there's just one of those that has really struck a chord with you. If that's you, just stand where you are. If God's spoken to you, just stand where you are. Just stand where you are. And then what I want the other guys to do, if someone's standing around near you, I just want you to go up. I don't want you to ask anything. I just want you to go and stand alongside them so they're not alone. And as brothers, we're standing with them. So if you see someone standing... Go and lay a hand. You may not feel comfortable doing that. Just go and do that. And just pray God's blessing. Just pray that what God has done, what God has done, He will continue to do. That's all you've got to do. You're just blessing what God is doing. You're not asking questions. We're not doing that. We're just saying, God, I want you to come and bless. I want you to come and heal. I want you to come. But whatever they need, Lord, I want you to come now and minister. And as that happens, they're gonna, we're going to sing over you. Yeah. So just allow God's Spirit. And if you're not standing, that's fine. Just allow God to meet you. But if you're standing, someone's got a hand on you. Just be in a place where you receive and let God bless you as we sing over you.